You are listening to Shadow of the Wing, and I am Antonia Chain. This show is a serialized telling of the novel Shadow of the Wing by Antonia Chain. To find out more, visit antoniachain.com. Listeners are advised that some content is only suitable for a mature audience. It was a bit of a new venture for them both. Without the buffering presence of Angie and Mike, they were awkward on their dates. During the meal, they'd interrupted each other when talking like puppies falling over each other, but somehow they'd found lots of shared history, a few people in common, and a startling amount to laugh about. They went dancing and had fun, and unlike their previous evening out, they hadn't needed toxic quantities of alcohol to find themselves sharing a cab back to the same address. It wouldn't be true to say that they were completely sure about what was happening, but neither had the courage to put an end to it, because it did feel somehow special. What Jess was sure about was that she still was not ready to take up the offer of a lift into work the next day from T.O. Miss Miss, can I ask you something? The patients were not required to call the staff by anything other than first names, so this, combined with the fact that this particular patient had actively gone out of her way to avoid talking to Jess, was what made the approach so unexpected. Jess led the patient, Dawn Hopkins, to a pair of old, battered and cigarette-burned armchairs in the lounge. Dawn had piggy little eyes and a spotty, cherub-cheeked face framed by long, curtain-parted, greasy hair. She wore a dirty and stained, ill-fitting dress with worn, flat flip-flops. Her visible toenails were filthy and encrusted. Dawn had a serious problem with personal hygiene, but even in the close confines of a locked ward, she could not be compelled by staff to wash. Occasionally, staff turned a blind eye, as patients themselves did the compelling. Dawn had a reputation of being a sneak and was not liked by either staff or patients. But Jess tried not to let this knowledge, or the pungent sour air of stale body odour, impact on how she engaged with her. It's about that nurse, she said. I don't like him, and I don't think it's right how he is with some of the girls in here. He asks us to sit on his knee and stuff, and he gives us cigarettes if we do. He asked some of us to give him blowjobs and I don't think he should be allowed to and you should get rid of him. This was such a difficult one for Jess. As a social worker she'd been trained in working with sexual abuse and the mantra was absolute. We always believe victims. It was a very, very rare event that someone lied about being abused. However, Hilgram was not a usual working environment, and most people in the hospital had horrific first-hand experience about abuse, either as victims or abusers, and the rules that applied in practice in the outside world 
did not necessarily apply in the hospital. It was a fact. Women in the hospital would and did lie about anything. Jess was also really angry with herself for the thought that jumped into her head that no one would sexually abuse Dawn because of how smelly she was, and she knew from experience this was absolutely not true. Abusers had no such finesse. Jess didn't know where the thought had come from. It was a fact, though. Dawn was a telltale, and there could be more or less to what she was saying. It wasn't immediately apparent what was happening. Are you saying that you've been inappropriately touched by Carl, Dawn? Is that what you're telling me? Dawn said, no, she hadn't personally, but she knew plenty of others had. It happened all the time, she said. In fact, it happened every day. Jess felt completely disempowered by doubt. Dawn could easily be manipulating her for plain old mischief's sake. It was equally true that she could be manipulating her for another purpose, such as getting the disliked Carl removed from the unit. On the other hand, Jess had seen him treating patients on the close side of inappropriately, and as Dawn said, virtually every day. Although Jess had never seen anything that would prompt her to require him to leave the ward, but then she supposed she was very unlikely to actually see him physically abuse patients. Maybe Dawn was telling the truth. If Jess didn't act on reports of abuse, she would be betraying her own sense of professionalism and, more importantly, Dawn, who, even though smelly, had a right to be heard. Even as she made her decision, she knew things were going to get more uncomfortable for her. Jess wasn't sure she had John's support any longer, and after today she sure as hell wouldn't have support from the nurses. She'd already begun to recognise feelings of regret that she'd moved to take the job at Hilgram, and now things were going to get even worse. Cal, you and I need to go and see Mike Sullivan now. Cal, you know how it works. I have no option but to suspend you until we've sorted this thing out. It wasn't clear whether it was his skin condition or high blood pressure making Mike's face redder than usual as he delivered the news. Carl did not take the notion of a suspension well. You're going to take the word of this crazy bitch over man. Mike, you know me. I've worked here all of my life and my patients are always implying stuff. Never once has anything been proven against me. And I mean... With Dawn Hopkins, for Christ's sake. Jess was asked to write up everything Dawn had told her and then dismissed from the meeting. She was glad to leave the hospital that day. The day had started magically, but within an hour of getting to Hilgram, the magic had been dulled and Jess would be damned if she would allow the hospital to dull the memory of her time with Tio. Sheila had thought it would be good PR for the hospital to have one of its senior staff take part in a TV programme. Although Jess didn't really welcome the regular request from the media, on this occasion it felt like light relief. A gang of youths, including a girl, had viciously raped another girl on a towpass of a canal running through a nearby market town. 
The programme wanted to discuss the motivations of the girl in the attack. It was fairly typical, and an unbalanced report which more or less ran with things ain't what they used to be, all youth is feral. That was their story. Neither perspective was shared by Jess, who later realised had come out of the programme looking like a woolly liberal. She didn't really care. It gotten her out of the damn hospital for a while. When she got back, she felt as if she'd been slapped. The first person she saw on the PTU was Carl. Her shock must have been obvious as he walked towards her. He spoke quietly but venomously. You need to watch your back, Ms. TV. He sneered the miss as if it were a swear word. I don't know what your game is, but Dawn said she didn't even talk to you, so the suspension lasted less than an hour. But me and you, well, let's just say that might take longer to put right, if ever. Carl walked purposefully away while Jess went to find Dawn. I didn't say anything, miss. I don't know what you're talking about. I never said nothing. Dawn walked away. Jess did not know what was going on, but everything was going to hell and taking her with it. John was not interested in hearing about her woes. He had received news that his paper about dialectical behaviour therapy had been accepted at a conference at Harvard Medical School, the most prestigious medical school in the world. He was incredibly excited and said by the time the conference was to be held in the January of the next year, he would be able to present clear evidence that his approach to dialectical behaviour therapy cured patients previously said to be incurable. It would establish him as an internationally renowned and leading figure in the field. Jess was very far from sure that there was any evidence of cure or that the PTU approach was more effective than any other treatments. But John did have expertise and she had been very happy to leave a previous job in order to learn from him. Perhaps she thought she was missing something. It had been a long and difficult day. Nurses were barely speaking to her and John was impossible to communicate with, so distracted was he by news of the acceptance of his paper. Michael Sullivan said that he knew Carl worked on the edge of what might be called best practice, but he did his job and was reliable, and so long as he didn't step over the line, Mike would rather keep him on board than alienate him, so it would be really good if Jess could find a way to make some kind of amends for the allegation. Like hell she would. The man was a menace. Jess was looking forward to a long soak and a nice glass of wine. She gladly handed her keys to the ever-cheerful Mike and walked down the road away from the hospital. She passed the security gate where the guard watching afternoon TV ignored her and turned into the staff car park. Just when she thought a dreadful day was at an end, she discovered that paint stripper had been poured all over the bonnet of her car. enjoyed the show and would like to read more stories by Antonia Chain, you can find her on Facebook, Twitter, and at her website, AntoniaChain.com. Thanks for listening.